This is the Regular Pastor Podcast. My name is Landon Coleman. I'm the preaching pastor at Emmanuel in Odessa, Texas. Today I have the privilege of talking to Luke Evans, who is the founding pastor of Christ Church in San Antonio, Texas. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Landon. Hey, both of my listeners are dying to know a little bit about who you are, so take a minute and uh, tell folks about your background, your church, your family, all that good stuff. Your mom and my mom, are those the two listeners? That's right, both of them. They want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. So, yeah, Marianne is my wife. We've been married for 15 years almost, 14 years, and we have three kids, nine, seven, and five. And uh, we moved to San Antonio in 2013 to plant Christchurch. So we're coming up on five years here in July. It'll be five years. And um, it's great. been a great experience and um, really thankful to be here and be a part of what God's doing. So, that's, yeah. That's cool. I Just so people know, Brooke and I were on vacation in San, San Antonio. I think it was two summers back. And we had the chance to visit with you guys and to worship there on a Sunday and uh, we talk about that because you know this, when you're a pastor, you don't get to go to church with your family very often. And so when we go on yep. vacation, one of the things we get most excited about is we get to go to church together. And yep. uh, we have had really terrible luck picking churches to attend while we're on vacation <laughs> and totally wasted those Sundays where we left and we're like, oh, what in the world just happened? So when we got to go uh, worship with you guys uh, y'all were still meeting in the movie theater at that point. It was a great Sunday, and we both left saying, "Ah, that was that was what we miss: going to church mm. and hearing the word and worshiping." And uh, so it was a good Sunday for us. Uh, good man. You mentioned this in full disclosure. Uh, Luke and I do know each other and grew up four houses down from each other in Amarillo, <laughs> Texas, and. Uh, our moms used to walk the neighborhood. I think they were like the unofficial Belmar neighborhood patrol, keeping an eye on everything. And uh, Luke's dad was the pastor of our church, and my mom was on staff there at Trinity in Amarillo. And that means between church and the neighborhood and summers and school, we spent way too much time together. So, Indeed. We'll, we'll make a pact that I won't tell anything on you if you don't tell anything on me and we'll keep all that yeah, this stuff. isn't this isn't being recorded right yeah that's right <laughs> um i'm gonna do my best not to call you echo divod snave in this interview, <laughs> but if it accidentally comes out just roll with you it. gotta edit that out <laughs> okay so today what we're gonna talk about for real is uh, reading, the regular pastor and reading. And this is one of the first things when I started the podcast, I thought, this is a topic I want to talk about with somebody. And I knew immediately I wanted to talk about this with Luke Evans. And uh, I know you're a guy who reads a lot. You read a lot of different things. Um, I think of myself as a guy who reads a decent bit, uh, but I know that that you are a guy who is committed to reading, enjoys reading, reads widely. And so I'm interested to hear your take, one, because I trust your perspective as a pastor uh, and a theologian, but two, because I know that this is something that uh, is a strength in your life. So I'm going to throw out a, a strange question first, and I don't know how much you run into this in your circles. Your uh, Acts 29 Presbyterian circles are a little bit different than my Southern Baptist circles, but 
What do you think when you meet a pastor who isn't interested in reading? It's Maybe they, they throw out some dopey comment like, oh, I haven't read a book since seminary or... Uh, yeah, I don't have time for reading or something like that. I don't know if you hear that at all, but I hear that fairly regularly. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are when you hear somebody say something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't hear that a ton actually. Um, but when I do hear that, you know, I think about it like if you play basketball, there's really like, there's three four main things you need to be able to do. You have to be able to dribble. You have to be able to shoot. You have to be able to pass. It helps to be six, nine, but (laughs) you have to have basic skills. And when I think about being a pastor, there's like, there's basic skills. There's people. Yeah. You minister to people. Like, I mean that just very broadly, you manage people, you shepherd people, you just disciple people, you evangelize. There's prayer and there's, I guess, reading slash thinking. Hmm. And so I would say, a pastor that doesn't read is like a basketball player that doesn't know how to dribble. Hmm. It's just, it's one of the major, in my opinion, hmm. and I think, I think actually there's good scriptural rationale for this. There's, it's a major component or piece of just the pastor's calling. So, what do you think? I would, that, ha- I would be worried if I heard that from a pastor. What I'll do you think that. that scriptural support would be if somebody said, "Oh, come on, the 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 people, okay, I got that in the prayer, in the preaching, absolutely." But when it comes to thinking, where would you go uh, for scriptural support to uh, to make that case to somebody? Well, I mean, I just think about the Bible, and the Bible itself is a book. Hmm. Like we're a bookish people, and God revealed Himself to the world through words and sentences and paragraphs and ideas written on pages by human authors, yeah. and that says something to me. I mean, that says to me that words and thinking and reading are important. John Piper in his book, I think it's called Think or something like that. And he has a great chapter on reading as thinking that Mm. basically makes that argument. But I even think about like Paul in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, when he's in prison and he's writing to Timothy and he's like, hey, Timothy, don't forget to bring the parchments when you come see me. (laughs) That was the verse that I thought of, man. (laughs) Was it really? Dude knows he's about to die. And his time is short, and he wants the books, man. Bring yeah. me some books. Me I want something to read. I know. I love that. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so I agree with you, and I like that breakdown of uh, the responsibilities of a pastor. You have a responsibility towards people. You have a responsibility towards prayer, and you have a responsibility towards thinking, which would include, I think you could include in that both study on the back end and proclamation on the on the yeah, other sure. side, proclamation being like thinking out loud and helping other people to think. So I like that. I like yeah. that breakdown. Um, how important do you think it is for a regular pastor to read? And I know that you just, in a sense, you just answered that because you said there's three roles and here's one of them and you better not be a two-legged stool. Um But when I think about regular pastors, I think about guys who wear a ton of hats Mm-hmm. Um, they have so many responsibilities. They have preaching. They have prayer. They have people. They have funerals. They have meetings. They have facilities uh, to worry about, budgets to look over, um, follow-up visits to make, phone calls, coffee meetings. I mean, they got a million things to do. 
how important is this? Where does it rank in the midst of all the busyness that I have in my schedule as a regular pastor? Yeah, that's a really good question. I sympathize with that because I am a regular pastor. Like you said, I have a lot of those responsibilities as well as you. And um, I would say as far as as far as reading as it relates to your study and work towards preaching, towards your preaching ministry, I would say it ranks near the top, if not at the top. Hmm. Um, so when I'm thinking about reading the actual Bible, not just devotionally now, but thinking about it as you prep for your study and prep for your sermon, as you do work in the text and as you read commentaries, that's highly ranking. So I know it might be helpful to distinguish that from what I would call I'd say that's like an important part of the pastor's regular diet of mm-hmm. reading. Mm-hmm. And the other parts of reading I think are important, but not as important. And I would say there are different seasons in pastoral ministry. Like when I was planning the church, I read less than, mm-hmm. than I ever have in 15, no, 12, 15 years as a pastor. Yeah. And so I understand that there's different seasons, but I do, I am persuaded that for a healthy overall ministry, there should be the reading work of, preaching and the reading work of just general thinking, um, more kind of broad scale reading is important as well. So let's drill down first on the preaching side of that, because um, one of the things I like to do is is try to get people to throw out numbers or figures that then they get locked into and then somebody can argue with. So okay. what I want to know is if Luke Evans is preparing to preach a Sunday morning message, Luke Evans, mm-hmm. the regular pastor, how much time reading on average do you think goes into your sermon prep for any given Sunday? Uh, reading. I would say it's less now than it has ever been in my ministry, and that's because I've got 12 years of regular preaching under my belt, so it takes me less time. Okay. Um, I would say, let's say in a given Sunday, it takes me, let's say, 10 hours from start to finish, a formal work. To, to come up sermon, with a sermon. To have it ready to get up there and go. Okay. Um, I'd say, let's say maybe, I don't know, three to four of those hours involves reading. And what commentary, are you, commentaries? Reading commentaries, reading the text. Over and over, reading the text, reading, writing. Yeah. I'd say, you know, so what is that, a third? Yeah. relatively of the time. A third. I like that. And I do think you're right. I think the longer you preach, I guess I would say two things about this. You mentioned that it's less now than it's ever been, and you kind of have a, you you know over 12 years of reading, and you've made it through seminary. You've kind of got a knowledge bank to pull from mm-hmm. where you don't have to go read quite as much necessarily. I also think there's a danger for some guys, and I've seen some guys fall into okay. it, and maybe I've been tempted to fall into it, where you say, I know enough. And what yeah. ends up happening is you're going to end up saying the same old stuff over and over and over again because you're not thinking. No one yeah. no one in a book is challenging you or a commentary is challenging you to think differently or to approach the text a different way or to reevaluate something. Um, and I think I think some guys just, they're smart. They've read a lot, but they end up sounding like a broken record because there's no intake um, in that study prep. And they're smart enough. They maybe don't need to do it each and every week, uh, but I think there's a danger in that long term. I agree. Yeah. Okay, so let's take the other side. You talked about sermon prep. You're going to spend 10 or so hours on a message. 
you're going to go for uh, three hours or so reading, studying. Let's jump to, I don't know the best term for this. How about discretionary reading? Reading that's not necessarily designed to prepare you for a Bible study or a sermon, just reading you're doing for your own thought life and your own personal development. How much time should a guy spend doing that type of reading in the midst of all the the activities and responsibilities that he has going on? Yeah. I mean, I would say, first of all, when you ask me about, hey, let's talk about the pastor reading, that is what I think about. I suspect that's probably what most pastors think about is what you call discretionary reading. So I've thought about this a lot in my life. One of the, I mean, I just, I've always read and always loved to read as part of the way I'm wired. But the way I think about this now in my, in my personal life and as a pastor is I kind of break up my reading into three big categories. There's reading for preaching. And by that, I mean the stuff we just talked about. Okay. Although the other two elements affect the preaching too. There's reading for pleasure, which I think actually, if you don't do that, you're preaching. I think if you if you do that, your preaching will be better, actually. Agreed. I think that bleeds into your preaching. And there's reading projects. And so reading projects and reading for preaching, two of those three categories are like in my personal life, those are things I do in my, quote, work week. So those hours I just talked about. And then I'd say reading projects, I'd probably give two hours a week to those now. That's an hour a morning, two mornings a week. So explain to me the difference in your mind between reading for pleasure and reading projects. What's the difference? Okay. So reading for pleasure is books that um, you read because you enjoy them. You like good stories and – you like, uh, I think fiction is super important for pastors to read. Really, really important to read fiction. Uh, this is the kind of stuff I would read, and everybody's different, but it's hard for me to read, you know, hard theology when I'm getting ready for bed. Mm-hmm. This is the sort of, when I think about it, I think, okay, the last 30 minutes before I go to bed, I'm going to pick up this novel, or I'm going to read Malcolm Gladwell, or I'm going to read The Blind Side, Michael Lewis, or I'm going to read a classic novel, or I'm going to read a biography, or whatever. All that reading for pleasure. I think that's it should be pleasurable, but I would even say, even if you don't really enjoy it, you should do it mm. as a pastor. That's mm. my opinion. Reading projects, I think about there's all kinds of ways to tackle this. Theology, like I'm a I'm an advocate of it's better, in my opinion, to read, you know, Calvin, read the Institutes, or read Herman Bobbing's Reformed Dogmatics, or read Shedd, or read Owen, Edward. Read the great guys slowly and repeatedly instead of reading. I'd say reading through Edward's stuff once is better than reading 100 newer books. But I also <laughs> and mean harder. Pro- and harder. I also mean by projects, like this is what I've started doing recently, is I'll take a topic huh. that I feel like I need to know about. So, for example, uh, racial reconciliation, hmm. there's one. Or um, the Enneagram, there's one. <laughs> or um, <laughs> uh, what are other topics? Uh, homosexuality. How many uh, books have you read on the Enneagram? I've read four books on the Enneagram. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I didn't know I was bringing on an Enneagram expert. 
Well, we can do another podcast on the Enneagram. Wow. If you want, man. That's awesome. So, you know, I think those are good. Like, so take a year and think if I want to understand, you know, racial reconciliation, r- racial reconciliation issues in America in the 21st century, what are the best books? Hmm. Get eight books, six books, 10 books, and just pound through them with some level of systemization over a year. I like that. And that's important for pastors. Yeah, I like that. And I like the, I haven't always done this well, but I have done it in seasons of my life where you pick a topic like that and you say, I'm going to go all in on this topic and I'm going to read left, right, up, down, back, forward, old, new. I'm going to read anything I can get my hands on about it. And I don't have to like all of it. I don't have to agree with all of it. Uh, a lot of it's going to you know, contradict and present different views. Um, but I think you get a depth in doing that um, way beyond saying, well, I read one book on the Enneagram. Yeah. Well, the guy who's read four, he knows 10 times more, not four times more, 10 times more about the Enneagram than you do because he's comparing these different perspectives, um, you know. So I like that. I think, yeah, especially on hot-button issues of the day, the pastor is going to get asked about this stuff. Yeah. And he's got to have – I think it's part of our calling to be thinking through this and reading people that, like you said, we don't agree with yeah. or don't think we agree with from coming from very different world. All that really, I think, is important. Yeah, I like that. So we're going to do reading for preaching. That's preparation to preach, to teach. You just got to do it as part of your job. You're going to do mm-hmm. reading projects that really, they are part of your job, but they may not be a pressing part of your job. You may yeah. not have a Sunday deadline right. to get through those things. But as a yep. pastor, you want to be equipped to engage those ideas and be able to talk to people. And they're long term. Yep. Like you don't yep. you don't have to get it done in a week. You can you can And on a side yeah, th- those are both true, but also another advantage of that is that it keeps your mind sharp. Yeah. And there's a book called Deep Work that's a great book by a guy named Cal Newport. I don't think he's a Christian, but it was a very helpful book. And he makes a great argument about how we've lost that ability. And I even see this in my own life. Like in the last 10 years, my ability to sit down and work hard thinking for two, three hours has diminished because Absolutely. of Twitter, because yeah. of Facebook, yeah, social media, whatever. And so I think it's incumbent upon pastors to be able to think well, to be able to concentrate and focus. This matters for prayer. This matters for preaching. And uh, I just think it keep training our brains to do that is important. So read through hard stuff slowly. Yeah. That, that helps. I like that. Okay. Two things you just said, and, uh, we didn't, we didn't discuss these on the front end, but two things you just said, I want to, I want to touch on and get your thoughts about one really quickly. You just said a minute ago, you've always liked to read. And I remember about, I remember that about you growing up. And, um, that's look, when I talk to you about reading, I'm asking you to talk about something that you have always loved doing. This wasn't something you picked up when you became a pastor. If you left pastoral ministry tomorrow, I know you and you would keep reading. What would you say to the guy who just says, I've never liked reading and it's not my thing. I'm going to... Um, I'm going to stick to watching sermons online or listening to podcasts rather than reading books. What would you say to that guy? Well, I would say part of 
this is going off the cuff, so a little dangerous maybe. No, that's all right. I would say part of your calling, we all have things we have to do that we probably don't like and that we're probably not great at, even if we're a re- especially if we're regular pastors. Yeah. So I'm not a great counselor, and I don't even really like counseling, to be <laughs> honest, because I don't really like people. No, that's not true. I like people. Um, but you know, I don't have a counselor on my staff that's yeah. full-time. I have to do a lot of it, and so I just do it. And so, but I think reading, and I do hear guys say that to me often. I'm just not a reader, and uh, I don't know. I just have a hard time buying that excuse. I, my answer, I guess, is well, you need to become one. A hundred years ago, I mean, for the vast majority of human history, you can't be a pastor without reading. That, like, that's a great point. There's no yeah. such thing as a YouTube. You can't go download Chandler's sermons. Yeah, you have to. You have to do it your own on your own. Yeah, and so I don't know. I guess I say suck it up. You don't have to be an expert at it, but there has there's sort of a minimal standard. It seems to me, no, without like trying that. to sound too harsh. I like that. What would you say? You mentioned another thing, and this is interesting to me. You said before I go to bed at night, I'm not going to sit down and work through Bav Inc., but I'm going to sit down and read through a novel. What would you say to the guy who sits down at night and instinctively clicks the TV on and watches 30 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, two hours, three hours of TV every night before he goes to bed? Is there a danger in that? Obviously, there is a danger in that, but what would you say? And I don't want to come across as like that I don't do that. Like my wife and I watch Netflix. Like I would say we have normal, we do normal things too, because reading is definitely abnormal in our culture. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But I guess what I typically say, and I talk to people in my church about this a lot, and I would say the same thing to a pastor is just think about if you cut down your Netflix by by half or even by 50%, read a book instead for especially it will actually help you sleep better, just being very practical. If you spend 30 minutes before you go to sleep in bed reading a book, it'll probably put you to sleep if you're not used to reading. But it's a it's just a good habit. It makes you a more well-formed human, I'm convinced. Yeah, I and like especially it. Especially for pastors. It's, I'm not saying, hey, don't ever watch Netflix. Not, I love watching Netflix. I love sports. But you could easily watch half of what you're watching now. No, you're right. <laughs> and I think about the – I think about the uh, – I think it's a Piper quote where he says one of the great – purposes and the great scheme of God for social media is to prove on the last day that we were not too busy for prayer, meaning we've yes. we frittered away an incredible amount of time on social media or Netflix or TV. And I think his point in that quote or that you know idea is, is prayer, but I think it also applies to reading, uh, to the yeah. regular pastor who says, I'm too busy, I don't have time. Well, I bet you're checking your Facebook, and I bet you're watching Stranger Things on Netflix, and I bet you watched the you know the game last night and all that stuff. Yeah, no so, doubt. Yep. Okay. Um, do you think, for a regular pastor listening, do you think it's wise for a regular pastor to sit down once a year, every couple months? You pick the timetable. Is it wise for a regular pastor to have some sort of plan? And I, when I say that, I'm not so much thinking about your category of preaching reading, where we're mm-hmm. going to do that every week because we've got a sermon coming. That's built in. I'm, I'm thinking about the, the project reading and the pleasure reading. Do we need a plan for that? And if you don't have some sort of plan, do you see any dangers that guys might fall into? Yeah. 
Um, so I've done this various ways in my life. I've, I've always had some kind of written reading plan. How often do you do it? Since I've been a pastor. I do it once a year, like you said, and I will lay out. I don't do this actually as well as I used to, partly because I don't have as much time. But I, uh, in my, it, the best thing in my experience is I would just get an Excel spreadsheet and I would lay out, okay, I'm going to go through Bavinc or Owen or whatever, you know, whatever, something that's going to challenge me, but it's going to be fruitful for my life and my ministry, my own walk with Jesus. I'm going to read 10 pages a day hmm. and just plot it out. And it requires obviously self-discipline when you mark that. And I, on my calendar, on my Google calendar that I have on my phone on Tuesday and Wednesday mornings from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., I have reading. And so when I get in the office, I've got to discipline myself to not get on Facebook or to not <laughs> check my email because before I know it, it's 840. Yeah. And so I come in and I immediately, I just check what I read that day and I start plowing ahead and I do it for an hour ish and I take a break or whatever. But yeah, I think a plan is super important. I think without a plan, you're probably not going to do it, especially if this isn't already a a habit that you formed in your own story. So as far as fiction, I don't have any sort of fiction plan Mm -hmm. other than I'm on Goodreads. I think Goodreads is really cool. That's a way I log what I've read mm-hmm. and what I want to read. What is Goodreads? And, um, I don't I don't know what that Goodreads is. Goodreads is a website. It's a really well-known, uh, really good website, goodreads.com. Thanks for making me feel dumb for not knowing. Yeah, that. super well-known, Landon. I can't <laughs> believe you don't know about it. Uh, goodreads.com. And uh, basically, you can mark books that you're reading and mark when you read them, have them read. And you can, if you see something, you can mark, I want to read this on mm-hmm. Goodreads. And it syncs with Facebook often. And you can see what other people are reading. You have friends and you can see what other people are reading and it gives you different reading ideas and there's reviews on it. The way I used it primarily to remember what I've read and what I thought about it. So I might even write a couple of notes to myself after I finished the book. Um, But fiction wise, I I think pastors are terrible at this. I almost every, this is getting a little bit off track, but almost every pastor I talk to, they read by and large, they read nonfiction. I think that's a huge, I think that's a, a mistake. Why? I think fiction is super, super Why important. Why is it important for a pastor to read fiction? Well, um, I think there's a number of reasons. One, it teaches you empathy. Hmm. It helps you understand what humans are like. Hmm. And you need to know the good novels. And you need to know what humans are like as a pastor. It helps us bridge the gap between the word and the world, to use that old John Stott slogan. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there's a Cornelius Plantinga has a book called Reading for Preachers that is a profoundly helpful book. It's like 120 pages, and it's really all about how preachers should be reading fiction and why it's important. So it teaches empathy, and it actually makes your preaching better, I'm convinced. Um, why does it make it, gives it you illustrations. It gives you good illustrations, and to be honest, like uh, – and well, this is again my opinion, but I do I do have like evidence over my ministry of this. I might be making a great you know point propositionally from the text, hmm. but then when I use an illustration from C.S. Lewis or from uh, Harry Potter or from John Steinbeck or from whoever, P. 
people, it's just natural. I see people's heads pop back up and yeah. their attentiveness increases. And when I sit, like you said earlier, when I'm not preaching, but I sit in a worship service, a good illustration captures me. Yeah. And you get, it's like this huge storehouse of illustrations. Fiction is. So it helps you, pre- and it helps you preach imaginatively mm. and wondrously. Like it, you, once someone gets out of seminary, they need to like for the next five years read nothing but novels because normal people, <laughs> normal people don't want to hear your seminary lecture. Like deprogram your your systematic yeah, theology like lingo. A detox, <clears throat> a seminary detox. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, also, as a side, an aside benefit is that one of my goals in, as a pastor. So this isn't a main goal, but it's a goal. Is that I want my people to read more for a lot of the reasons we've just been talking about. But I found if I quote, you know, uh, Marilyn Robinson or Somerset mom or Wendell Berry or Harry Potter or Tolkien in a, in a sermon with a lot of regularity, I have people and especially kids come up to me after and then they'll say, I I love that idea. What book is that in again? Yeah. To me, you're just, I think it's good for human, just human beings to read. No, I think that's I, an important thing. I like that. And and I've never really thought about that. But as you mentioned, the, the feedback aspect of, you know, when you reference a book, um, I just have bells going off of people in my church over the last couple of months. And, and I'm thinking of the feedback I've gotten on sermons and a, a decent chunk of it. Maybe I'd say the majority of it has been people saying, Hey, what was the name of that C.S. Lewis book you mentioned in your sermon? Or what was the name of that that book that you made reference to or that author? Would you recommend him? And hopefully that is driving people uh, mm-hmm. to read things. I love the idea you brought up about empathy. And I think about a lot of the regular pastors I know and some of the struggles they have in ministry. And I think a lot of it boils down to what you said right out of the gate as the first responsibility of a pastor is people. And a lot of a lot of regular pastors just struggle with people, and maybe the problem is we've been brought up on a diet of movies, Netflix, social media, TV, rather than books, where in a book you really, in a way that's different than a movie, you enter into the the life and the thought process of a character, and yeah. you understand things, and, and it gives you insight into human nature in a way that a movie just, even the best movies, can't do. And yep. um, maybe there's a connection that's, there. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. The best novels tell you what human beings are like and hmm. why human beings, the brokenness of humanity yep. and the beauty of the beauty of grace and love. And it's common grace. I mean, yeah. they're little vestiges of God's common grace in the world. And they really, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it, it, it makes you a more empathetic loving human and therefore a more empathetic loving pastor. Yeah, I like it. Hey, I got a, a list of things we're going to tick through and we're going to do like lightning round and uh, okay. you give me your thoughts and and maybe a reason or two but we'll try to hit these quick. Uh regular pastor in reading, uh newspapers, blogs, books. What's the balance? Uh I hardly ever read blogs. I find them frustrating. Um there's a few that I used to read, but I don't anymore um, because I find them going – I find myself getting sucked into the internet warp mm. when I read blogs. Um, 
books mainly. I don't really read newspapers, although I probably should more. Okay, there you go. Dead guys or living guys? What's the balance? Uh, I would say both. I do really like C.S. Lewis's quip about you should read two dead guys for every one living guy. Mm. I think there's probably wisdom in that, although I can't say I've ever really intentionally done that myself. Yeah. I talked with one of my guys on staff this week about uh, the value of dead guys, and uh, we said, you know, dead guys aren't going to cheat on their wife next week or get fired from their church for Mm. stealing money, and uh, all these other Mm. guys that we look up to, they still might blow it. I don't know if that's worth anything or not, but that's interesting. I, I, yeah. I do think new guys sometimes give you a, a context that is more relatable to where yeah. we're at and our people that sometimes you miss yeah. in the dead. Guys. That's true. So, that's true. What about like-minded theologians or different perspectives? <clears throat> how, how should a regular pastor <clears throat> balance that? That's a great one. I would definitely say both. And particularly when we think about preparing for preaching, mm-hmm. one thing I do that I found extremely helpful it's let's say I use three commentaries and different guys do it different ways. I'll take two guys that I trust. Hmm. Like right now I'm reading John, going through John. I use Carson. I use uh, Beasley Murray. And then I've got another commentary that's from someone who's way, I mean, way out of, like I would never have read him. Mm-hmm. And he's the best by far. It's, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. It's the best commentary I think I've ever read anywhere. And I did that when I preached through Revelation. I got some crazy way left of me. I mean, but I think that's helpful. Obviously, don't recommend that to your people, but read discerningly. And these people are going to have insights that we would never get if we just stay in our own little silo. I like it. Uh, Some of these we've already, we've already hit Um, theology books or secular books. I like what you said about uh, when you graduate seminary, you should be banned from the theology section for a couple of years, but yeah, for sure. Once you get into pastoral ministry, you find your groove. What should the balance be? Yeah. Um, I think pastors, especially, you know, guys, guys that did go to seminary, our theology is probably pretty good. I mean, if you want, you know, for the people that are going to be listening to this, your theology is probably fine. You need uh, what I needed. I needed to read books about leadership. Mm. (laughs) Like, how do you run an organization? Mm. And I needed to read books about, um, like, again, like we've talked about fiction. Mm -hmm. So those, like, if someone's coming out of seminary, I say, you need to read, like, Lencioni. You need to read David Allen. You need to read, Mm. you know, all that. You need to read Jim Collins. Read, like, the best business leadership stuff. Yeah. And read fiction. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. What about uh, biography? What is the value in reading biography, either of believers or non-believers? What's the value in it? Yeah, I think there's a lot of value there. I think it's a great, a great genre for sure. I love biographies. I don't read them as often as I do some other things. My dad, for example, reads biographies like a madman. He mm. reads them constantly. Um, again, it helps with empathy. It helps you understand uh, how people are. And I think, especially if you're reading biographies of leaders, hmm. like Abraham Lincoln, the bo- team of rivals, the book team of rivals about him, that's just an, um, that's an incredible book about leadership and patience and endurance. And, um, yeah, I think that stuff can be super valuable. That's cool. What, uh, we'll end with this. What are you reading right now? Let's see here right now I'm reading, I've got them right here. I've got all my commentaries here on the Gospel of John. I'm reading a book by uh, a guy named James Brownson, who is uh, a professor at Western Seminary, and it's called Bible, Gender, Sexuality. Hmm. And he's actually on 
the other side of me on this. He believes in full inclusion of um, practicing homosexual couples mm-hmm. in the church. And so apparently this is the best book on that topic from that perspective. So I wanted to read it. So far, I'm not persuaded, but I wanted to read it. I'm reading Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and that's it. There you right go. Now. Well, on average, how many books are you reading at one time? If you had just had to throw something out there, uh, three or four books at a time. If you don't count commentaries, that's yeah, that yeah. Average. Take commentaries out. Three to four at a time. Yeah, yeah two to four at a time. Okay, yeah. there you go. I I can't do that. I've tried to do that. Um, yeah, other than commentary study, I just I got to plow through one at a time. Um, the yep. last I've last, done that before too. Yeah. Last stuff I've read, I read uh, God and the Gay Christian. That's just a popular level treatment of what you talked mm-hmm. about earlier on the homosexual mm-hmm. marriage issue. And um, somebody uh, asked me to read that, so I just finished that up. Um, actually wrote a, a short review for that uh, that's going to hmm. be online. Um, I'm reading right now, sort of like that topic reading you talked about. I know in the fall I'm going to teach on the Ten Commandments, and so I got online and I've bought about – 10 or 12 books about the 10 commandments. And I'm just plowing Mm. through those one at a time. I just finished up a short one by, uh, AW pink. Um, that that was, it was good. It's kind of classic pink. Sometimes there's not a ton of depth, but there's a lot of quotable quips to to pull out. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, I'm reading a book called growing young by a group of people from Fuller Seminary, and this was not my choice. This is a group of pastors I meet with, and somebody in the group picked that for the group to read, and we're supposed to read it and, and get together and discuss it. So I guess I am working mm. for you a, a few different things there at you one go. time. But you just contradicted your earlier yeah, point. I, I don't know reading. what I'm talking about. So Hey, I, one other, Landon, i got to tell you this one. Yeah. Uh, the Crucifixion title author is Fleming. Rutledge. Okay. It won, I think, Book of the Year in Christianity Today. And it's a, she is a mainline pastor. Yeah. In, in her circle, she's super conservative. In our circle, she's pretty liberal. But this is, I think, the best theology book I've read in the last 15 years. Wow. Like without any, like, it's a, she looks at kind of different angles on the meaning of the death of Jesus. Okay. She's a brilliant writer. And it, I don't agree with everything in the book, but yeah, man, there's some just like moving and brilliant passages. Like I have theories, it right here on my desk. I use it all the time. Like theories yeah, of the example, atonement she, type she has stuff. A chapter on, yeah, she has a chapter on ran, the atonement as a ransom, a chapter uh, on the substitution, a chapter on you know apocalypse, uh, Christus Victor, a chapter on you know all the different kind of. If you look at the atonement as a diamond, yeah. different perspectives on it. It's, cool. Very good. The so. Crucifixion by Fleming Rutledge. I'll link to it in the uh, in the show notes so people can check that one out. Luke, man, I appreciate your time today and uh, appreciate you carving out a few moments to think about this topic and then to talk with me about it. I hope it's helpful for folks as they listen and uh, hope that we can get you back on the podcast in the future. Thanks, man. I think that if we get a sponsor for this podcast, it'll really help it take off. And I have a sponsor in mind. I think Taco Villa <laughs> would be the perfect sponsor for the regular pastor hey, podcast. Come on, Just man. A West Texas institution. That's right. And the and it started in Odessa, right here where we're at. So it seems yeah, like a natural fit to me. If I can work out some if I can work out some free bean burritos or something, I am definitely <laughs> for that sponsorship. So I'm yeah, gonna make go some calls it. and see what I can get done. All right. <laughs> thanks. thanks. Man. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Regular Pastor Podcast. Check out our website, regularpastor.com. Contact us with questions, suggestions, requests, podcast ideas. We'd love to hear from you. Till next time, this is the Regular Pastor.